The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Wednesday night, June 22nd, as we record this new episode, which is after the Chicago White Sox and the Toronto Blue Jays series. Here's the good news. The Chicago White Sox won that series against the Blue Jays, taking two out of three games. The offense scored 20 runs in three games, which is great. We saw some home runs, which is great. We saw a late comeback that turned into a 12th inning walk-off victory. That's great. There's a lot of positives out of this series. The bad news. Oh my God, the injuries continue to pile up for the White Sox. And players who are clearly injured are trying to play through these injuries, even though some can barely run. The bullpen is gassed, and Lucas Giolito had another meltdown. We are going to discuss both parts, plus look ahead to the weekend series, as the Chicago White Sox will be facing the Baltimore Orioles for four games this upcoming weekend. Joining me now is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis, and hello, Jim. The White Sox took two out of three against the Blue Jays. That's a great outcome. They are 33 and 34 in the season with a shot being above 500 by Monday. But we need to talk about the injuries because this is now becoming a pressing issue and the depth is exhausted. I mean, Adam Hazley ran into Danny Mendick. So the White Sox are now waiting an MRI as Mendick has significant bruising on his right knee. Adam Engel left Wednesday's game with the right hamstring barking on him. Jose Abreu can barely run, and Luis Robert left the game early because he wasn't running all that great, but the expectation is he'll be available for Thursday's game. Uh, Jim, is this time for another White Sox roster line change? Seems like it, yeah. Adam Hazley was a little bit of an agent of chaos between the the play before, not quite getting there, giving up an extra base because he... uh, was a bit slow and indecisive into charging a grounder that got into the outfield and throwing to the uh, most urgent base in the next play. He runs into Danny Mendick. So yeah, it's uh, it, it's next man up. Yeah, I think that's they're trying to use that mentality, but it's getting a little bit ridiculous, especially since 
Danny Mendick has been the next man up. And, uh, you know, whether it's been for Tim Anderson or second base or Yohan Moncada at third base, like he's already been the next man up for like three different people. Mm-hmm. And now they need a next man up for the next man up who's been the next man up three times over. And that's kind of where the White Sox are right now. Um, you know, it's, you know, Angle, I think, was a little bit of a luxury. You know, we'll see what, you know, his deal is, but he hasn't been playing that well for a lot of the year. And with AJ Pollock heating up and Andrew Vaughn hitting no matter where he is, like they can go out without an angle. But I think right now with uh, Garcia hurting, um, you know, Mancata out, Berger struggling, like they're really cutting it pretty thin uh, on the infield, especially if Jose Abreu can't keep playing like this with one leg or one functioning hip. I'm glad you bring up Abreu because watching him in Wednesday's game, I decided to go because I wanted to see Giolito in person to see if I could pick up anything that's mechanically wrong with him. <laughs> just just to shake my head at him ruefully. <laughs> but watching Abreu, the guy can't run, Jim. If he hits a ball in the gap that rolls to the wall, it's going to be a single because he can't get to second base safely. And... Maybe it's been compounded because he scored the game-winning run on Tuesday. But as he was rounding third on Josh Harrison's single, he's like yelling, like screaming (laughs) this primal (laughs) scream to motivate himself to get across home plate. But as soon as he gets across home plate, he's down to like one leg. He's just seriously limping. And he continued to limp all day Wednesday and he's DHing and I am just not understanding what the White Sox are doing here. Why, why Jose Bray, you can't take the day off. But as you mentioned, when you have all these other injuries piled up, he may, the White Sox might not be able to afford Jose Bray to take a day off because they don't have anybody else. And he's producing like that. That's what I think is remarkable about him and remarkable about Tim Anderson is that even though they're hurt and neither is running at, hundred percent. I'd say Anderson's running at like 80% when he tops out, maybe 90, um, but not for very long. And Abreu is running at like 40% uh, when he can afford to. Um, the fact that they're still hitting, still able to use all fields, you know, hit the ball pretty hard. Like Abreu nearly decapitated Ross Stripling. And then he uh, gave uh, Tim Meza like his own hip injury, like basically uh, decided like, hey, see how this feels. <laughs> and um, so, you know, he's still hitting the ball hard. So I think it's, remarkable that he's able to do that. And when you see like the way Moncada's played when banged up and way like Eloy Jimenez has taken forever to uh, get past his injuries when he does come back. And same thing with like, you know, Engel playing at half power and AJ Pollock took a long time to come back from his rehab stint. Like the, the fact that, you know, Bray was still hitting the ball hard when his lower body looks like crap everywhere else is remarkable, but it does seem unsustainable and it's really hard like to figure out when it comes to the White Sox injury management just you know they, they've stalled in putting Juan Makata on the injured list and putting Garcia on the injured list you know and and just they they, they have these guys unavailable for so long and you know when it's coming like they hit with Makata and Grandal and they're hitting like 140 so it, it seems like you know if they're so desperate to avoid putting them on the shelf when they were playing as poorly as they were. What does it mean for somebody like a who's actually hitting the ball pretty well? Like, is he right. going to have to like have to crawl to bases in order to like be lifted from the game? Um, 
like it just I, I was really surprised like in the in the 12 inning game that they didn't pinch run for him um just because you know it seems like if he had to play again uh you know whether whether it's like in the field or at the plate like something terribly went wrong um but he ran for himself and he scored but it just like to to what end is what i'm thinking of when i when i watch him doing this and I don't know, just because I don't really have a whole lot of faith in what the White Sox are doing injury-wise and, and their ability to, um, I guess, cope with them, manage them, prevent them. Like, everything injury-related, I don't really like right now. Well, the White Sox only have two position players that are part of the Charlotte Knights that are on their 40-man roster, and that's Gavin Sheets and Romy Gonzalez. But Jeff Cohen from Future Sox, who is reporting for us down in Charlotte on the Knights, has told us that Romy Gonzalez is not 100% and may not be available to play. So that really leaves just Gavin Sheets, who might swap out for Danny Mendick. And if Sheets does get called up, then Sheets can play first base and Abreu can continue to DH. Vaughn can take one of the corner outfield spots. So you might have an outfield configuration of A.J. Pollock in left, Luis Robert in center, and Andrew Vaughn in right field with Gavin Sheets playing first base and Jose Abreu DHing because Abreu is doesn't want to give himself a day off. That's just how Jose Abreu is. I have to imagine, though, Jim, because they're going to need some middle infield help, mm-hmm. that it might be time for another player in this 40-man roster to get DFA to make room for another position player to be added on, right? Because I just don't see where you calling up Gavin Sheets is enough to address the position player issue with these injuries. Well, where are they going to cut from? Can you can you part with Parker Markle? What yes. about uh, Yohan Ibar? <laughs> yes. You want, do you really want to rattle this organization to the core <laughs> by losing them? <laughs> Think before you speak. Come on. <laughs> What was uh, Parker Markle's uh, last appearance? How well did he throw? Uh, I think a third of an inning. He stuffed the box score, stuffed the the stat sheet. That's a nice way to put it. Um, (laughs) Lots of hits, lots of runs, walks, fewer, uh, more balls than strikes. A lot going on. A lot going on. Yeah. And he's 31 years old. So I'm okay. I'm okay if Parker Markle gets let go if the White Sox have to add another position player to the 40-man roster. I feel like they have no choice. Could the White Sox, let's say Rick Hahn agrees with me and he's got the same stream of thought. Could the White Sox go bold here and call up Lenin Sosa? Well, he's not starting uh, tonight or Wednesday nights for the Barons. That'd certainly be cool. Like, that's a... you know, watching Sosa this year and watching what he's doing in Birmingham, slashing a strikeout rate the way he has, drawing more walks, like he looks under control there. So it seems slightly desperate that they would call him up. But when you see like what Romy Gonzalez did last year, and Gonzalez had a strikeout rate above 20% and above 25% when he was with Charlotte, it's like Sosa's is around 15%. Haven't looked it up recently, but I mean, like he's basically good for at least one hit every day, still hitting homers, still hitting for power. Um, He's hit over 300 every month. He's got OPS of uh, uh, 933 on the season, slugging, you know, basically, uh, he's like OBP is uh, 
over 350 every month. So he's been really steady in how good he is. Like he's had some hot streaks, but the cold streaks really have not been, uh, you know, he hasn't really lost his way. Like the way like Brian Ramos did in May, like he hasn't had that real, real big rut. So I like what he has to offer. He's, he's definitely like the power is legit in the sense that like his swing looks different. Like his lower body is a lot more engaged in the swing. So he could, he could maybe turn around some major league pitching in a way that like Gilbert Sanchez could not do like Sanchez is a hands oriented hitter. He's somebody more like, I would think like Josh Harrison. And I think, you know, with the way that Josh Harrison is playing now, I don't think you need another Josh Harrison on the roster, which is what Gilbert Sanchez would be. So if you're looking for like a bit of upside, a little bit of diversification of game and style and maybe impact, I think Sosa would be the guy to try out. And he has to be added to the 40 man roster after the season anyway, because he would be eligible for the rule five draft. So uh, you know, it's not a bad idea to give him a look now, especially if Tim Anderson, they're still handling him gently and want someone to cover shortstop. I think he would be the guy. And you could move Josh Harrison to third. So Harrison could start at third. Lenin Sosa could be at second base. And then Tim Anderson's playing shortstop. And you still have Lurie Garcia on the bench who is not comfortable right now making spot starts for the White Sox. Uh, today, he was only pressed into service because of emergency reasons. And he filled that time at shortstop. And then he went out to center field when the White Sox benched Luis Robert to save his leg. So, I mean, it's a, it's an interesting thought. It would be bold. Sosa skipping AAA and going straight into the major leagues. But at this point, you know, why not? Uh, I, I guess that's, yeah. that's the question that I pose because with all these injuries, you're just – you don't have a lot of straws to grasp right now from a White Sox perspective, mm-hmm. Jim. Yeah, I think, you know, with Sosa, if they called him up and it didn't go well, I think they would just send him back to Charlotte. Like, he hasn't played in Charlotte yet, so they'd basically, like, go out of order. But if they had to send him down, like, okay, um, maybe Charlotte will look easier for you. Uh, the way that, like, you know, Jake Berger and Gavin Sheets have had better stints in Charlotte after getting a look at the Major League level. So maybe it's a case where... Um, you know, right now they, they don't see, you know, if indeed they've, uh, uh, he's not in the Birmingham lineup because they're calling him up in this world. Uh, let's let this hypothetical. And maybe by the time people are listening to this, it's not a hypothetical. Um, it's a case where they just say like, eh, it's, you know, uh, we don't feel like his development is going to be thrown off. It's not like a Mike Adolfo situation where he's striking out 37% of the time and homering 63% of the time. And like, which way is it going to work in the yeah. major leagues? Like this is <laughs> certainly more solid, I think. And it's a case where it might be, somebody who buys you a month before the adjustments come in and, and you know, it gets rougher. So I, I think it'd be worth a shot. And I think Sanchez was more appealing when Harrison wasn't hitting because they could just use somebody who could uh, put the ball in play and play a capable second base. But now if Harrison is Josh Harrison, more or less, the, the guy they thought they were getting, then uh, I think they can be a little bit more bold here. This series featured two of the hottest offenses of June. And I have to say that both teams lived up to the billing with the amount of runs that we saw in these three games. The Blue Jays scored 22 runs while the White Sox scored 20 runs in these three games. How are you feeling about the White Sox offense, Jim? Because if for those that have listened to us since the beginning of the season, I feel like we started off with the White Sox offense is producing their six and two to blaming the offense for all of the team's failures and why they're below 500. But in the last week or so, they've really picked up as far as the run production. Are, are you feeling better about this White Sox offense? In a snapshot, yes. 
Um, you know, in a lineup where Robert is healthy and Abreu is healthy enough to play. And uh, we just saw Mendick go up at the way he's hitting, the way Harrison has been producing, and, and just the depth in order to allow Tim Anderson to take games off. But then Anderson comes back and he's fine. Like AJ Pollock's hitting well enough. Like everybody's, you know, Andrew Vaughn looks like a potential all star with the way he's collecting three hit games. So. That, I think, has enough. Like, I, I think, you know, like, Ross Stripling showed that it still can be cooled off by a right-handed pitcher who's locating in a way that, like, lefty still struggle against the White Sox. But it's better, and it's deeper. But I think, you know, as we talked about, like, you know, should, you know, these injuries have some stickiness to them with Engel being out, with uh, Abreu, with Roberts, you know, Anderson needing days off, uh then it's a little bit trickier. Then it feels a little bit more like hoping for lightning in a bottle from some guys. And that's, I think, where it gets a little bit tricky. But that's why I don't, you know, to, to go back to the previous point about uh, Lenin Sosa calling him up, like, sure, just uh, get a little bit more of a surprise from the bottom of the order. Like, if you see he's hitting, like, seven, eight, nine. Like, when you have, like, McGuire, uh, Larry, you know, kind of, like, down there, and you're not expecting much when they come around. Although McGuire's been playing okay, but, like, Zavala, same thing, like, if you're just looking, you know, if the bottom third of the order looks pretty non-existent on a given day, I think he adds a little bit more texture to that lineup to make it seem like, oh, at least I'm not going to change the channel or, you know, go walk the dog there's during this inning. I think I'm going to hang around and see what he does. And that's a case where, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, Anderson can play at least like two out of three days to make that, you know, less important. And Harrison's progress can stick. And then it's really just more of a matter of like, making sure Jose Abreu is healthy and not asking too much of Jake Berger, like taking some of the stress off him, you know, spelling him with Sosa there, or, uh, you know, if Harrison starts there and, and having, you know, Garcia start second, like just being able to not have third base be all about Jake Berger. Cause I think we are seeing some cracks there. Luis Robert had a big series. He drove in seven RBIs in these three games for the white Sox. And with Tim Anderson back, as you mentioned, he continues to hit, he had multiple hit games in games one and two that he started for the White Sox. Unfortunately, he had some base running blunders where he got picked off twice at first base and not following the lead runner on a pass ball. So that was a bit odd. But yeah, I mean, when you got Anderson and Vaughn and Robert and Abreu going one through four and they're all hitting, yeah, that's where you're seeing the White Sox score 20 runs in a three-game series. And it's spread out pretty evenly throughout those three games. And that's that's a good way of building a you know winning series or winning streaks for the Chicago White Sox team, which is what they still need to do as they are 33 and 34 as they enter this weekend against the Baltimore Orioles. And we'll preview the Baltimore Orioles series in a moment, but we got to talk about more not good news for the White Sox, and that is Lucas Giolito. We spent a lot of time on Monday's podcast, talking about Lucas Giolito's struggles this season, how he struggles facing a lineup the first time to the order, and especially a third time to the order, but it's really heightened at when he reaches 75-plus pitches in his start. Well, Giolito got into 70-plus pitches on Wednesday. It was just a 2 to nothing deficit, and within 10 pitches, it became 7 to nothing. Lucas Giolito's final line was five innings pitched because the bullpen is so gassed that the White Sox had to press Giolito to get through five innings. He allowed 11 hits, seven earned runs. He walked only one 
which was the leadoff batter in the game. Uh, and he only struck out three. And he allowed two home runs on 95 pitches. Giolito's season ERA is now 5.4. Zero. Mm-hmm. So, Jim, before I get into my monologue and trying to figure out what is concerning me most about Lucas Giolito, what are your takeaways from this start? Well, I will try to leaven it with some positive framing because going into this series, um, n- none of the three starters are really coming in on their A games. You know, Lance Lynn, Dylan Cease, Lucas Giolito. My fear going into the series was that none of them would have much positive report or any kind of like progress to mark. So in in this case, like, you know, if you're coming out of a a series against a Blue Jays team, you know, one of the best offenses going right now, and two of three starters come out with progress that you can document and point to and say like, hey, that's good. You know, I like what I saw here. That's pretty good. Like I would take that big picture. Um, And I think the question is like, who would you, who would you least want to see disappoint? And I think Giolito's probably the one you can most afford to see disappoint at this point. Like, you know, with uh, Lynn, like if Lynn uh, kind of stalls in his first outing, like that's not good. And if Cease uh, is, is like a four-inning guy, that's not good. So it feels like, you know, Cease striking out 11 over six innings and Lynn looking good through five and then six kind of got ripped off. I mean, the, the strike zones in the series were pretty rough. Although I would say in, in a Wednesday's game was fine. Uh, but Doug Edding's performance in Tuesday's game had me flinching every pitch within five inches of the zone. Yep. On a uh, Wednesday. I was just like, every time it's like, uh, yeah. So I, I think it's going to take me a little bit of uh, a few games of repetitions to realize that, you know, it's, you're okay. You can breathe easy. You're safe here. <laughs> uh, but that's, that's, I think, you know, kind of my, my macro, uh, assessment of Giolito is like I had bigger you know, apprehensions about the rotation, the shape of it at this point, and I think it came out okay. So that's my attempt at spinning it positively is like the other two starters were good. that They showed what you wanted to see. As for a Giolito, uh, yeah, it's um, it, it seems like, you know, we, we talked about last time that the slider, he needed to show that more, and I don't think he could. Like, he just wasn't throwing it Locating it well, like, you know, no swings and misses, no real, I think he had one whiff, but not even really any called strikes or, you know, pitches in the zone. Like he was, you know, was missing with it. He was trying to go fastball change up. And it seems like the change up has lost its effectiveness against right-handed hitters. Like we talked about before, like lefties, it's fine. Lefties, it serves its purpose, but it's no longer like, and I was looking at it too, like his, you know, his velocity is fine. His um, spin rate is where it was um last year uh but it seems like or like i should say the spin rate is down where it was last year actually the thing is with the spin rate for the slider it's the same spin rate for his fastball is lower this year like pretty considerably so it's not even like a sticky stuff thing it just i'm not sure if it's like a dylan cease issue with like spin efficiency but it seems like that pitch is not what it was and that makes the change up no longer devastating to any hitter in any counts. That's kind of where I'm at right now with looking at Giolito because the slider wasn't there and he's no longer able to, I think, get by fastball changeup only. This is where my concern is with Giolito. And, you know, we've been podcasting together for nine seasons, Jim. And for some of our listeners, you guys have been listening to us since our Southside Sox days. 
and you've gotten to know us pretty well. We've had some major milestones. We bought houses, Jim. We got dogs. You got a kid. You got married. I'm getting married next summer. And you guys have been there with us. And that's one of the joys having this opportunity and this medium and having a loyal following like you guys with our podcast. We get to enjoy and share those successes with you. But I, <laughs> yeah, I don't share with you guys my internal struggles because everyone's got problems. You don't want to hear my problems. You want to hear about the White Sox problems. But like, for example, I struggle with my weight and getting married next July I've lost 20 pounds to January 1st, but I've got to lose like another 50. And oftentimes it just seems too much. And sometimes I weigh myself and I just sit in the bathroom staring at the wall, wondering how the hell I'm going to get myself into the best shape of my life to look great in a tux. It's like this thousand yard stare that I have just staring blindly at the bathroom wall because I'm in conflict with myself. When I saw Lucas Giolito in the dugout after Wednesday's start, Jim, I know that look that's on his face. And that's the stare into the distance and you are not focusing on what you are seeing. You probably can't even tell what your eyes are pointed to because you are in your head wondering, why am I failing? Why am I not successful? What am I doing wrong? And it could lead to a dark place. It could lead to self-doubt because we are human beings. I mean, human beings are playing this baseball game. They're not robots. People have bad days. And now I'm worried about how this five-game stretch of poor performances for Lucas Giolito, because I think in his last five starts, his ERA is above nine, is impacting Lucas Giolito mentally. He's already had to overcome being one of the worst pitchers in baseball. There's a famous commercial about that. He's enjoyed so much success the last three seasons that it just seems now that things are getting away from him. And I see him in the dugout. I see him in the postgame press conferences. And it looks like someone who is lost and doesn't have the answers why they are failing. I wish I could tell you mechanically what Giolito is doing wrong. Being, in the being at the game on Wednesday and watching Giolito mechanically he's very inconsistent especially with his lower half I don't know why his fastball is flat but it's flat as Jim mentioned the spin rate is below last year I don't know why his slider is not as effective and his changeup's not good right now and everybody seems to know the changeup is coming there's a lot wrong with Lucas Giolito I don't know what it will take to fix him mid-season I don't know for Ethan Katz or even if Ethan Katz has enough time to figure out to fix Lucas Giolito, the White Sox are having to overcome a lot so far in this season. And this seems to be another thing that they're going to have to overcome Jim. And Giolito is not Keiko. He's not James Shields. He's not Ivan Nova. These veterans where White Sox fans, you know, even us at some points, we don't care. Ivan Nova gives up six runs in the third inning have that guy throw 110 pitches. Who cares? Don't burn out the bullpen. He's a veteran. He's had his time. But Lucas Giolito is not that type of pitcher. So I am a bit concerned moving forward for someone that is struggling right now, a third time to the order, that he needs a confidence boost. And the way that Tony Roos is managing his starting pitchers, I don't think they're ever going to heed my advice that in his next start, which is projected to be in Anaheim against the Angels, 
if he's got five shutout in- innings against the Angels and he's at 80 pitches, I think he should be done. But I think the White Sox are going to continue to press him, and it's going to put him in a bad spot. He may suffer another meltdown because this is the formula now that Lucas Giolito has demonstrated in his last five starts. And I just, I, it's now a mental thing. I, I just don't know how he's going to recover mentally. And the White Sox really do need Giolito if they're going to come back and win the American League Central in 2022. I guess the good news is that they they don't need Giolito to be like Giolito right now with the way Cueto's throwing, with the way, you know, Lynn is bouncing back, Cease is throwing, Kopex. Like, they have enough depth to where, like, Giolito doesn't, you know, you can take, you can have a bad month, uh, month plus. The, uh, I guess, when I look at him, when I look at, you know, what he's doing and, and coming into this start, like, I understood Tony Larusa completely, like, with his management. I, I understand where you're coming from with the 75 pitches and making sure he throws five innings, but... After a 12-inning game with uh, you know so many pitchers unavailable and you're down three nothing in the fourth inning, like you can't go chasing a win with a bullpen covering two thirds of the game uh, when you're down three nothing. Win probability is like 20 percent or something like that. That's just a bad bet. That's like uh, you know throwing good money after bad. And you just have to you know G Little has to wear it. So you know I, I get the urge to try to have like a neat five inning start for him but he did not put himself in that position and you know he's kind of a big boy and he kind of needs to uh like he, he dug his hole and uh, his team needed a certain thing from him so you know assuming you know, he didn't he didn't go into like the danger zone when it came to overwork he just got hit pretty efficiently i think with the way the blue jays um worked him like giving up 11 hits you'd think there might that might have taken more pitches, but they actually were pretty considerate with how efficient they uh, put his balls into play. So there's that. Um, but yeah, I, I get the, you know, the, I think the argument about, uh, you know, having like a nice tidy five inning outing, but I think with uh, the way he's throwing and the way like the, the spin rate is just flat, everything like, I think if it clicks, it clicks. If it doesn't, then I don't think it's necessarily managing him for his mentality. It's more managing him for you know, to win ball games uh, first and foremost, because he might only be a five inning pitcher or a two times through pitcher. If his fastball is just flat and he's the changeup mm-hmm. is no longer like in, you know, uh, useful against righties. So it just might be a case where, okay, you're a fifth starter now until proven otherwise. And uh, you know, my, yeah, watching the game and watching, uh, you know, Gio, it'll look really, uh, irritated on the mound uh when ethan katz is out there like just he was talking into his his glove but you could tell like he was not happy not chewing out i don't think he was like you know mad at anybody but himself but you know you watch dylan cease when ethan katz comes out there during one of his laborious four inning outings and cease like his expression never changes and he, and you don't know with him whether he struck out 12 or given up 12 homers like that's just his his expression stays the same g Lito, like he's you know he shows it more in this case, like he was showing a frustration I hadn't seen. And then you mentioned in the dugout, like he just, there's nothing to say when he's out of the game. Like there's, there's nothing to improve. He's just alone with his thoughts then. Um, you know, I, I guess my, you know, my thought watching him there was like, well, Ethan Katz is already here. So where does he get like, I guess, you know, my thought is if Ethan Katz is pitching coach, does he go to Don Cooper for advice? <laughs> is that like, do, do they switch roles now? Like, uh, you know, who's going to be like the, uh, the guy he goes to for that extra, you know, extra boost. That's, I think the, uh, the, the kind of uh, fascinating subplot here and putting all their eggs in the Ethan Katz basket. 
I guess the good news is like, you know, other pitchers have shown enough progress to where like, you know, it's not all about Giolito, but that did strike me as like a, huh. Um, yeah, we don't, you know, there, there isn't another Giolito whisperer here around the corner that he can call or bring in, fly in, et cetera. It's just like, he's got to work through it with, uh, with, with who's here. Yeah, and for the, and we'll talk about the upcoming starting pitchers for the White Sox against the Baltimore Orioles. Right now, I mean, C's had one of his best starts coming off Tuesday night. Even though the game went 12 innings, he was fantastic. Uh, maybe the wider strike zone helped him a lot. I, I think it did, but he still took advantage of that opportunity. You got Cueto coming up. You got Michael Kopech coming up. Again, we're not going to see Giolito again until he faces the Angels. But that Angels lineup is very potent. You will have to face Trout. You'll have to face Otani. That is not an easy road. And event then eventually, Giolito is going to have to start some of these critical games in July against the Minnesota Twins and the Cleveland Guardians. And the White Sox really need prime Giolito to help out to strain along a three or four game winning streak. You don't want to win two games in a row and then the next game... Uh, Giolito gives up seven and three innings, and then that could really wreck the rest of your week. So it is something that I'm trying to be mindful of because I still consider Giolito part of the core, Jim, for this White Sox contending team. And I, I do think that it requires some resources to, to figure it out for him because you still need him this season, and I'm assuming you're still going to need him in 2023, even though he enters his... Uh, his last year of control with the Chicago White Sox, his final year of arbitration. Although it is funny watching the uh, series and watching Jose Barrios uh, struggling with the Blue Jays. Yeah. It, you know, Barrios, I think, has been the comp for Giolito, I think, especially since, uh, you know, Giolito's renaissance. But, like, you know, just kind of the same idea in terms of, you know, okay with the twins like in in 2020 then very good with them but like kind of running out of time and realizing like they're not going to re-sign him so they trade him for what he was worth try to replace him you know internally and externally and they're getting by like i think there are some uh some some cracks in the rotation that they have to worry about or mind but you know i, I think the way the brios is pitching right now they're better off with who they got so yeah i think he is part of the core but I think there is an example within the division of like a team that moved on before it was too late and uh, you know, are, are, are in better position for it. So it's something I'm mindful of, especially since, you know, I've uh, you know, we, I've argued in the space and others many times that like Rick Hahn is not transactional enough when it comes to, uh, you know, players who could reshape the roster in, in ways that uh, uh, address what they don't have. And I think Giolito, you know, as long as he doesn't completely collapse the rest of the season, might be one of those guys. So, like, I'm not as, you know, especially, like, watching him struggle, uh, you know, with this kind of, you know, I, I guess the, the, the sustained nature of his struggles while the weather's warming up and it's going to be warm for the next few months. Like, there's a... Uh, you know, this, I'm prepared for this to last a while, I guess is what I'm saying. Like, just because there isn't anything saying like, oh, he'll be back. Like, you know, the, you know, like, not like velocity rebounded or spin rate rebounded or it's like one bad inning. There are a bunch of bad innings and the good innings aren't that great. So that's, that's, I think, you know, what, what I'm mindful of is like, uh, yeah, faith in the big picture, at least like understanding that, you know, he should regress, but, um, 
Also, like, this is what it look, would look like if regression wasn't coming. I hope there's positive regression coming for Lucas Giolito. Yes. It is. You make a good point. It is eerily how it's it's just weird on how similar Barrios and Giolito have been performing. Because Barrios now has a season ERA above five when the White Sox beat him up uh, on Monday night. And he signed that long-term deal, and that doesn't look like a great contract right now for the Toronto Blue Jays committing those types of years and money to Jose Barrios. And you got a lot of White Sox fans now saying, Jim, that uh, maybe Rick Hahn has dodged a bullet here, uh, possibly with Lucas Giolito. Again, I'm hoping that there's something that they could fix midseason and that this is not a lost season. But Lucas Giolito's season ERA is at 5.4. That's really not good. And uh, again, I think shorter outings, if you can get five scoreless innings to you know boost his confidence and rebuild his confidence, would go a long way. But with the state of the White Sox bullpen right now being completely gassed and all the injuries that this team is suffering, they just they can't afford that right now. And Lucas Giolito is going to have to eat these bad starts if they continue. But the White Sox have the Baltimore Orioles next. They visit this upcoming weekend for a four-game series. Another series win for the White Sox, and they will be above 500 on Monday. Can they do that? We discuss next after a quick word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. 
Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. Yes, the Baltimore Orioles are now visiting the White Sox at Guarantee Rate Field for a four-game series. The Orioles are 30-39 and 39 this season, which is pretty good for them. They're fifth place in the American League East. They are 20 and a half games back of the New York Yankees. In their last 10 games, the Baltimore Orioles are 6-4, and four, so they are playing some pretty good baseball the last couple of weeks. When they are on the road, though, they are 13-22. and 22. They really struggle outside of Camden Yards. The pitching problems for this series between the White Sox and Orioles starting on Thursday night. This is a 7-10 p.m. Central Time start. It is also Pride Night at Guarantee Rate Field. Dean Kramer is making the start for the Orioles against Johnny Cueto. Friday night at 7-10 p.m. Central Time, it's Kyle Bradish against Michael Kopech. Saturday and Sunday are 1.10 p.m. Central Time starts over the weekend. The Orioles' projected starter it could be Austin Voth. It is to be announced on their end, but Lance Lynn is scheduled to make that start for the White Sox. And then on Sunday, it will be Jordan Lyles for the Orioles against Dylan Cease. And Jim, when you just look at the pitching probables on paper, and you also look at the Orioles' offense as a season, they rank in the bottom 10 in Major League Baseball when it comes to offense. You got to feel really good as a White Sox fan about this White Sox team possibly winning this series, maybe a four-game sweep to conclude this homestand. Do you think the White Sox can do that? Do you think that they could win this series, win at least three out of four against Baltimore? I think they can, especially at home, just because I was looking at their pitching splits just to get an idea of how drastically the reconfiguration of Camden Yards left field has affected what they're doing and, and how they're going about their business because I haven't really I haven't seen that many games you know at Camden Yards because the Orioles really aren't worth watching like this year like I haven't just you know ha- happened upon their games and st- stuck with them but every time I see their left field I'm like holy crap like that's that's insane just the 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 renovation it went and when you look at their pitching staff like it's pretty good on the whole but the home uh, road splits are nuts they've given up 25 homers at home 52 on the road wow. Uh, it's a 694 OPS, uh, so so it's, uh, OPS below 700 at home, OPS above 800 on the road. <laughs> so it seems like they are, uh, you know, just you know, built for you know, built to be, uh, I guess, masked by that uh, massive left field and and just you know all the balls dying on the warning track there, one hopping the wall. Uh, so I'm hoping that guaranteed rate field in. Uh, in the summer, we're officially in summer now. That would be a good place to just use these uh, splits, these tendencies, the way uh, you know the the Orioles are kind of built to, yeah, uh, you know, I guess the way the Camden Yards was rebuilt to mask some of the Orioles' deficiencies. Hopefully, they can use that. You know, the White Sox can take that and clobber them over the head with it. You know, for four games, and at least you know just. Uh, yeah, I think if they would go to Camden Yards, different story just because, you know, right-handed hitters pulling the ball in the air on the rare occasion they do, just they might not have luck. It just might, you might get dragged into uh, low-scoring games because uh, it's impossible to hit the ball out to left field. But at home, seems like this is a case where uh, you can use that, uh, you know, just that weird discrepancy against them. I was a bit surprised about the Orioles offense and where they are ranking 
in Major League Baseball. They are hitting better in the month of June. They do have a team OPS of 715 before they played their Wednesday night game against the Washington Nationals. In this month, they are hitting 224. That's not great. 294 on base percentage. That's not great. They are slugging as a team 421. That's pretty good. That's top 10 in Major League Baseball in the month of June. They have 25 homers in 18 games compared to the White Sox, who have just 17 home runs in the month of June through 20 games. And looking at the Orioles offense, you got Anthony Santander. He was in right field, Ryan Mount. Mountcastle at first base and Austin Hayes at left field. All three of these guys have double-digit homers for the Orioles this season, Jim, and they would be leading the White Sox in home runs. Are these the three guys that the White Sox fans have to be pay close attention to against the Orioles and see on how the White Sox starters fare against them? I think I would rope in Cedric Mullins as well just because I think he's shown, a, shown well against the White Sox. Like he's, uh, you know, the, the classic, uh, I would say he was, you know, in the mold of you know, like a Luis Arias last year before Arias redefined himself into being like another coming of Rod Carew. <laughs> but I think uh, in the case of like Smolens, you know, he had, he had a great year last year, but also just a ton of speed, made things happen, uh, played good defense, like almost six wins like from a player. So like he strikes me as somebody who's he's had a little bit of a down year, but relative to league offense, it's not that down. It just looks that way. Like a 303 OBP is like not terrible this year. He's also stolen 15 bases. So he's somebody I think who just, you know, can make individual innings harder than they have to be. And, and that's somebody I'm keeping an eye on just because, you know, especially like say if it's a case where uh, White Sox starters are, you know, minding their own business and trying to uh, take care of uh, the guy at the plate, then he's somebody who could take 180 feet by himself. Yeah. Jorge Mateo. Not great offensively, hitting 197 with a 233 on base percentage, slugging 315. That's not great. That's a 548 OPS. Uh, he's got 74 strikeouts to eight walks through 63 games. That's that's quite disparity. But he's stolen 17 bases. And Mullins, as you mentioned, Jim, has 15 steals this season. So I imagine if the White Sox make a mistake and they put Mateo and Mullins on, they're going to be running. Especially if it's Sebi Zavala catching back there, because Reese McGuire mm-hmm. is not going to be able to catch all four games. If Sebi Zavala is catching, I am a bit worried that if Mateo and Mullins get on pace, they are going to be running because Sebi Zavala is really struggling to make his throws down to second base. I'm also interested in seeing Adley Rushman this weekend, the former number one overall yeah. pick. Uh, slow start to his major league career in his first 26 games. He's hitting 213 with a 282 on base percentage and slugging 351. He does have one home run. He's all but he's got eight doubles. That that's a pretty good amount for your first 26 games of your major league career with 21 strikeouts to seven walks. What else are you going to be watching or interested in seeing in this series between the White Sox and Orioles? Well, just going back to the Orioles pitching staff, they don't really strike out many guys. Uh I think their bottom Bottom three in strikeout rate, basically like two tenths of a percentage point away from being the worst team in baseball. The Royals currently own that for the lowest strikeout rate. So, you know, I could see it going two ways. We've seen like the Royals, you know, frustrate White Sox hitters just by getting contact, getting ground balls, um, and, and you know, double plays, quick innings, etc. Because uh, they don't really waste a lot of pitches trying to pursue strikeouts, and so uh, that's the way that happens. But I, I think you know. 
looking at those home road splits at disparity, like this could be a case where even if the White Sox are a little bit underpowered in terms of name brand recognition in their lineup, like it could be a great case for uh, even like a shorthand lineup to work. Or like if Gavin Sheets comes back or uh, Lainin Sosa makes his debut that, you know, we've seen the White Sox want to have gentle introductions for prospects when they're making their debuts, be it like, you know, whether it's a starting pitcher starting against like a second division club or a White Sox prospect of some note, not like being thrown into a crosstown series or something like that, like trying to make it more of a nondescript setting in order to, you know, kind of not, you know, reduce pressure to the extent that they can. Like this could be a kind of a series for, you know, like a Gavin Sheets or a Sosa if they come up, like just a way to say like, here, this is probably the closest thing to triple a pitching um you know the orioles on the road uh with you know kind of uh their rotation a little bit of flux right now to where like yeah you you might have seen some of these guys at norfolk or uh you might have uh just you know seen some of the relievers around like this is a case where yeah it's um this would probably be the gentlest introduction possible uh the orioles with the pitching staff they have at home during the summer so that's, uh, I think, an opportunity that maybe explains why some guys might be out of lineup in, in the minor leagues. They got some names in their bullpen. Keegan Aiken, left-handed reliever. The, the White Sox are going to need another left-handed reliever, someone that could actually get lefties out. He's been struggling in his last week, but overall, Aiken has got a 2.53 ERA. I'm kind of scouting the Orioles' bullpen right now to see if there would be any interesting trade targets for the White Sox. Because I just got a feeling, Jim, they're going to add to their bullpen. But Dylan Tate. So another high draft pick here. Carson Fulmer year, right? Yes. Dylan Tate is throwing out of the Baltimore Orioles bullpen. 28 years old. Drafted fourth overall in the 2015 draft out of UC Santa Barbara. 29 games. He's got a 1.95 ERA. But as you mentioned, he's not striking out a lot of guys. 26 strikeouts in 32 innings. And I'm, I'm just scoping out, the, again, I'm scoping out the Orioles' bullpen. And another thing I'm going to be watching this weekend to see, is there anyone worthwhile? Because you know that Baltimore will trade some guys before the deadline as they're still in flux. They are still rebuilding. Yeah, well, I will say Keegan Aiken, though, five homers and 18 innings on the road. So pitching outside of Camden Yards is is hurting him. Yeah. So I think it's worth watching just seeing how they fare. Because, you know, I think if we were watching the Orioles in Baltimore, like it'd be a case where scouting the bullpen might only go so far. So this is a case where, yeah, it's it's a very representative uh, environment for what they would be dealing with if the White Sox acquired them. I'm really hoping the White Sox win at least three out of four in this weekend, Jim. So on Monday, we're talking about a White Sox team that's above 500 before they go on the road for their West Coast road trip where they visit Anaheim, in which the Angels are all over the place right now. And then... (laughs) Tungsten Armo Doyle. Exactly. And then uh, next weekend, they are going to be facing the San Francisco Giants. Many White Sox fans are going to be making that trek to go see the Giants Stadium. It's one of the best in Major League Baseball, but maybe hoping to also see Carlos Rodon facing the White Sox. Uh, that would be a fun reunion during that weekend. We'll have to see if the pitching probables match because Carlos Rodon is currently pitching tonight for the San Francisco Giants, and I haven't looked ahead to see if that makes sense to line up between a uh, Rodon versus White Sox matchup for that weekend. 
But it'd just be nice that the White Sox get above 500. They get that weight off their shoulders. They stay above 500. So, again, that really critical stretch of division games that they have from July 4th through the All-Star break in the first series after the All-Star break at home against Cleveland, that the good vibes stay around because I am thinking, Jim, once they get above 500 after this weekend series against the Orioles, finally, I mean, we get this question asked a lot when we join other shows and we, we when we do our radio appearances on 670 to score. Or can we put a pin in this? Can we make, you know, is this the last time the White Sox should be below 500? I'm going to say yes. After this weekend, this will be the last time the White Sox will be below 500 in the 2022 season. And now watch, they get swept by the Orioles and we have a much different conversation on Monday. Yeah, I, I would hold off on that until seeing exactly what the roster shakes out to be with all the possible injured list stints uh, in play over the next like two days. That is true. That is true. But the Orioles really struggle as far as pitching, especially on the road, as Jim pointed out. And hopefully the White Sox bats, the bats that can stay in the lineup, continue to stay hot. And they have a very productive weekend. And uh, it'll be a fun weekend at the ballpark. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. The next episode is going to be the White Sox wake-up call. That will recap the Thursday night game between the White Sox and Orioles. Jim and I will be back for you on Monday morning to recap the Baltimore Orioles series and also preview the upcoming series against Los Angeles Angels for the Chicago White Sox. And we'll also pay attention and see how things shake out in Minneapolis between Cleveland and Minnesota to gauge in just how far back the White Sox will be in the American League Central. But I greatly appreciate everyone that took the time to listen to this episode of the Sox Machine podcast. Whether you are a longtime lurker of Sox Machine or this is the first time you have heard us, you can help support us at patreon.com slash Machine, where our Patreon supporters, they get more. They get ad-free versions of the podcast and website. They get exclusive content. And when we have new Sox Machine swag, they are the first ones to obtain it. We have monthly plans starting at $2, and you can save with an annual subscription. Again, you can sign up at patreon.com slash Machine. You can subscribe and listen to the Sox Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And the Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening.